From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in exciting, vibrant Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are video game events and color theory. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Spring. Yes, is here. it is. Spring is here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's... I had to turn the air conditioning <laughs> on in my car. <laughs> it's it's fleeting. I mean, yeah. it could snow again at any moment. Shush. Shush. Don't it's, tempt them. Mm-hmm. It's fake spring. Yeah. yeah. We just had, we had second winter just last week. No, two weeks ago? It was two weeks ago. I mean, by my count, third or fourth, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> So it feels like it's the true, it's the true spring. Yeah, it's sixty three degrees here mm-hmm. uh, in Minneapolis, and which and, is nice for us. And like just <laughs> over a week ago, we had a foot of snow. Yeah, right. So it's wild because when I was walking over here from uh, to Glitch HQ, I was I was just walking and I was like, oh, it's so nice out, and then I saw a giant pile of snow. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, in other news. Oh, the meta news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Infocom source code is out. Yeah, this is a fun thing I wanted to talk so about. So cool. So old, a bunch of old text adventures based on Zork um, were all... You can head north, south, or Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bunch of the source code for these old games uh, was uploaded to GitHub uh, this week. And it's really cool because you can kind of dig in to see how those old games are designed. And uh, a lot of it is pretty messy. And yeah. the one I'm interested in particularly is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which is a book series and an old TV show I really loved. Mm-hmm. And I liked the movie adaptation, and I don't care that it's not perfect. <laughs> um, but uh, it also famously had a, a a text adventure version that is just a monstrously difficult, obtuse. It's everything people hate about text adventures in a text adventure, and it's the better for it because it fits the story so well. Yeah, that, like, that makes sense. Basically, there's, a, there's logic in the game where there's nothing in your pocket, and you have to use the nothing on something. Oh my like, goodness, really? <laughs> because it's nothing in your pocket. Oh. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> you, you wake up in a dark room uh-huh. and everything you do will kill you unless you turn the light on. Ah. And, and, but it gives you a lot of options. It's like you can do this or this or this. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try this. Like it's too dark. You died. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really fun game to play. It's really, really difficult. Um, for like its 20th anniversary or something. The BBC put it online uh, in like a little flash uh, widget. Oh, cool. And I think there's a HTML version of it now. So you can play it online for free. Ah. Um, and so you can see for yourself how, how <laughs> difficult and stupid it is to play. Um, but how, how incredibly funny it is. Dry wit is all there. Anyway, and all that source code now is up on GitHub. And you can search through it and find all of Marvin's quotes and so on. The things you couldn't get to when you were playing it on your own. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah. But you, I remember you were saying that like you can't compile this code anymore. Yeah, it seems like the actual, um, it uses this thing called ZIL, which is the okay. Zork interpretation language. I think that's right. It might be, one of those words might be off. Mm. Um, but basically, it's um, it's just like a scripting language, like an intermediary language that you uh, that these games were written in, kind of like how a bunch of old uh, point and clicks were done in the Scum engine, right? Ah. Which was based on Maniac Mansion. Yeah. Very, very similar. Um, and uh, apparently in the sands of time, uh, the original compiler for these have been lost. And oh. so the story I read anyway says there's no easy way to take the source code and make anything with it. Um, that may be, you know, I, we can look into it and maybe throw it in the notes if we find something, but um, it's it's more of a cultural artifact than a lot of open source things are. Yeah. Um, but a great move is uh, when it was put up, like two days later, GitHub added syntax highlighting for this language. So oh. it's now an official language on GitHub. Which okay. It, which is, it was just text <laughs> files when they put it up there. Yeah. So it's really cool. That's hilarious. 
yeah, it's it's the the celebration of it has been kind of fun. Yeah, um, because it's sort of you know it's like who's gonna who's gonna exploit these things commercially anymore? So might as well just throw them up and and have fun with it. Yeah, because well, they're not they're not in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's Activision that owns the rights to the old Infocom IP. They're not doing anything about it. I haven't yeah. yet. So I guess that there's not really a point to it. Guess not. So, hey, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, dig in, people. Yeah, uh, Martha, you've been playing a fun game recently, right? Yeah, I've, well, the past two days I've been like doing nothing else in my free time than playing my time at Portia, okay, which is super fun. Um, and I've been playing the Switch port, Ooh. which is not the most optimized sure. for Switch, <laughs> which is kind of frustrating, but. Uh, it's really fun. It's like a farming slash, like you're a builder. So you, it's basically just crafting, which is my favorite thing. And you mm-hmm. get to walk around and there's colorful llamas that you can like say hi to. And there's a pig you can like befriend, which is Whoa. amazing. And a very fat cat. <laughs> and yeah, it's really interesting um, and super fun and relaxing. And there's combat in it, but I haven't done any of that. So I know on the Slack, we've been talking about like relaxing games mm-hmm. and uh, on the MSP game dev Slack, and this is one that fits that bill. I think it's very fun. Cool, yeah. Well, check it out. We'll we'll post a link somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Show notes. Uh, and Mark, yeah, you almost finished. Baba is you. I'm so close, you guys. <laughs> How long is that game? You it, said it was really long. There are so many levels. <laughs> so many. There's uh, over 200. Oh my goodness. And I'm at like 213. Wow. I think there's only a like half a dozen left. Okay. But I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> there could be 30 more levels hiding behind a wall somewhere. Yeah. Like that's, uh, I love this game a lot. We talked about it on the show before. Uh, Ellen uh, brought it up as an anticipated game mm-hmm. at the top of the year. And uh, it's everything I love about games. But there are too many levels in this thing. Huh. Like I, I, uh, and it's not that they're like too challenging because a yep. lot of them are. Some of them are just these obtuse puzzles, but like that's fine. Yeah. Um, it, it is really satisfying to beat them. And the ones that like they're totally outside, it's not that frustrating if you can't exactly. Okay. Uh, people's mileage may vary on that. But the problem is, is there's just so many levels and like half of them are like genius amazing and the other half are like fine. Mm. And so I feel like it could have used a lot of editing. Like yeah. 150 levels is a lot. Yeah. You know, especially like a lot of the really tough, challenging, really engaging ones are there. But there's just a bunch of a bunch of levels, mm-hmm. and I know the creator has talked about pruning down a lot of them to this point. Yeah. Um. But it just my sort of opinion as a player and as a designer is it's it's becoming a slog. Sure. Um. Because I want to get I want to beat all of them. Yeah. It's, it's my kind of game. I'm 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 doing it. Mm-hmm. Um. But at a certain point, I'm not getting the joy out of like beating level 206. Like just not. Yeah. And yeah. it's really annoying because what the game does very well. Is even as you get to the end game, it introduces new concepts to you um, that are all um, uh, you know combinations of old concepts, and so it's really really good at that. In in the fact that like it never becomes a slog in that way that you're doing the same thing over and over again. It just is a sense where a lot of the new elements are not super interesting. Like uh, I, I could do without some of sure, them. Yeah. They don't you know they don't add to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I imagine that's just totally subjective. But to me, it feels like I would have I would have rather you know, have all the worlds had like two thirds the amount of levels they have in it. And then I would, one, I'd be done by now. So that's a plus, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but also I think it would be much more engaging, more exciting to unlock a new secret area. Cause like the game does have a lot of areas which are only revealed to you 
uh, like in a really like sideways way. Oh, I don't wanna, like give it away because it you know it's it's a fun thing when you discover it. But it, sure. things are not as they seem, and that's really really great. Yeah. Um. But then they're not as they seem again, and then again and again. And oh. It's like okay, I get it. Well, yeah. Part of the novelty goes away if you see the same twist over and over again, right? Well, they're, they're new twists each time. Okay. It's just I I could it's I could fatigue. use yeah I could use two or three good twists instead yeah. of like two or three good twists and four okay twists. Yeah. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I totally feel you. But I still love the game, but I have a, it's a very specific complaint and I'm dealing with it right now. Yeah. Once I get all of them, it's sort of like, it's like getting all the shrines in Zelda. Yeah. Have you done that yet? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Turn your mark. <laughs> with like the last ones feel kind of different, but you have like, you're like a, you're like, it's like a, it's a, it's a mission you're yeah. on. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really great. Yeah. Um, it's, but the frustration is a little different in the way that I feel that in Zelda, the last shrines would be feel that way no matter how many shrines there are. Yeah. Right? It's the last ones. Yeah. It doesn't matter which ones they are. Right. This game, I think, is a little different uh, in that fewer of them would make that make it less frustrating. Sure. I think. Yeah. So, I, anyway. I, I, can, I can totally see that. But still, strong recommend. Ooh. Anyone who has, you know, sympathizes with any of my feelings on game design yeah. will love this game. Yes. Well, we, I, I think we've linked to it before, but we'll do it again. Yeah. And then once I finally get them all, I'll talk about it once more on that episode. <laughs> So expect that in a week, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. Sweet. Well, I, there's still time I can beat you in it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm going to lose that battle. Oh, man. Please, please try. Should we make it an event? Oh, <laughs> nice. Martha's on point today. <laughs> so as we talked about in the last episode, that was the last episode, right? I don't know. Yes. Calendar math. <laughs> this one's coming right after the one we talked about. Yes. Me going to St. Louis to see the League of Legends North American Spring Split Championship. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Which was super fun. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how that event was put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also about some of the other design things that happened on our trip. Uh, so you'll get to hear all of that in yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going we're to hear everything Martha did. And then we're going to try to maybe... Related to other types of events or things like that. Yeah. But mostly we just want to hear about your trip to Seattle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, remember how we talked about snow earlier? Uh Uh-huh. Well, last week Uh we were driving uh, on Thursday, which was the day. Oh, of the storm. Of the storm. Mm -hmm. And they said it was going to be on Friday and they lied to us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So like it was so scary driving because... The snow was was getting blown by the wind so much because we were in like out in farm country. Oh, shoot. So yeah. like you could barely see in front of you. And then when the wind would come, it would like fishtail your car out because Oof. it was just so strong. It would just push the car and it would push the semis in front of you, which is the worst thing. So we were like following this one and like that you could see the back of it just go whoop like way out to the right and then come back like. He was like oh, a goodness. very good truck driver because he like <laughs> recovered each time. Wow. And then when it finally got too bad, he was like, okay, everybody, I'm stopping. I'm just going to pull over. Oh. <laughs> and we're like, you're a good truck driver. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the design thing we ran into that day was that Google Maps is not optimized for Midwest or snow conditions because mm-hmm. it kept being like this. This road is very slow and has traffic. You should go on this tiny little road with tons of ice because no one's on that road. And we're oh. like... No, Google. <laughs> the reason it's going slow is because we're being safe. And if we go on one of your stupid side roads, we are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no one will ever find you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Google, <laughs> fix that one. Please. <laughs> um, 
And then, so then the second day when we finally got to St. Louis, um, we had an extra day before the tournament. So we went to the city museum, Ooh. which is like, uh, if you've never heard of it, it's this, it's this kind of a children's museum, but it's more like a jungle gym that's uh, in, encompasses a whole 10 story building, basically. Oh, okay. And it's all ages, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, after eight o'clock, they kick all the kids out and it's only adults. <laughs> and <laughs> they open, better. they open up the two bars that are hidden in oh, wow. the structure. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't go then because Okay. Uh I don't know. It's I don't know if the City Museum would pass safety standards here in Minnesota because there were a lot of things we were walking on that were like, hmm, this doesn't feel structurally safe. <laughs> or like rebar and so forth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like all these tunnels, it has all these tunnels made out of rebar that go like snake outside of the building and up to like old airplanes that they have suspended on things and like we climbed up one of those and we were six stories up looking down through like just you know like metal things yeah. but like open spaces in between all of them so oh. you, like your foot could get stuck oh, or goodness. like you know and so I was like man this is scary enough sober I don't know <laughs> I don't think I want to be inebriated yeah. in any way yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense well I remember we went to the Space Needle in Seattle yeah. together and there was the the glass floor and like the, a lot of attractions have that and that's scary enough when you know there's like two feet of glass mm-hmm. and like the engineering genius of a generation yeah like, <laughs> yeah but knowing there's just a bunch of stuff welded together by I don't know who well yeah like the, the dudes that you saw welding over in one part because there was one part that was just like looked obviously under construction but okay. there was no like blocking off you could just walk over there oh. and there were like dudes with like you know welding equipment and like uh-huh. saws and stuff <laughs> oh okay it's, very- <laughs> it's so cool though oh, okay sure <laughs> steven's really really believing you right now <laughs> that sounds terrifying <laughs> and there were tunnels that were just pitch black like okay. just pitch black and you could you know no idea what was in them you just walked in mm-hmm. and there were kids just running everywhere there were like oh, millions of children there huh. uh and they were fine. And I think the cool thing about it was that I've read stuff. I probably won't find an article about it, but it was like, if you have a situation that's a little bit dangerous or like seems a little bit dangerous, mm-hmm. kids will actually, how do, how do you describe it? They won't engage with that? No, they they will, but they'll learn how to do it safely and they'll like be ah. more cautious because, mm-hmm. uh, but and learn how to like test their limits and sure. stuff on it. Yeah. Right, right. Um, in an area where they can't really be hurt. Yeah, exactly. But they can, they can identify and adapt to signs of danger. Yes. Just yes. like video games. Exactly. <laughs> it felt like a video game yeah. level or like a video game level that some kid made up. Oh, and just okay. like, ta- they're like, hey, I want a fish tank here. Let's just put like a whole ton of water stuff right here. <laughs> but oh man, I want a treehouse. So let's put a treehouse like right over here. And why don't we have a whale in the treehouse? Okay, there's a whale in the treehouse now. <laughs> why don't we have it? No one was quick enough to respond. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we, like, why don't we put a hole in the floor right here? And oh, there's put- lots of reasons. Okay, yeah, but never mind. <laughs> It was pretty great. Cool. Uh, and I it's called the City it. Museum. Yes. Just so like it's it's very nondescript. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I highly recommend uh, going to that if you are a level designer or a child. So <laughs> I've heard people <laughs> talk both. about going to this thing. My wife's gone to it and we, we people we know have, have, have gone and talked about it. And mm-hmm. it's always this weird thing because it's not, you can look online, but there's not a ton of 
photos of like exactly it's all very mysterious in a sense i think because it's not like a huge big budget museum right so like describe what does the lobby look like like how do you get what do you how does it how is it introduced to you i'm really curious about that um the lobby is like just like there's a window where you get your tickets and then like it's literally into the weird like there's weird tiles already in the lobby and like with murals of like fish and birds and stuff. Oh wow! And then you immediately walk into where the wha- big, huge whale in the tree. Like, this is the cleanest room. Let's put the entrance yes. here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> and like, like right in the by the entrance is where the the like three story slide ends. Mm-hmm. So you have a bunch of like people coming down right at you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's very cool. <laughs> it's rad. Cool. Like, how accessible is it? Are there elevators? Or is it just sort of oh. it is what it is? Or wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have any sort of like physical disability, it probably will not be as fun mm-hmm. because there's not, I think they might have an elevator to go up to the roof. Yeah. Um, and there's certain spots that are like, you could probably get a wheelchair into them mm-hmm, if you yeah. could get the wheelchair up to them. Right, <laughs> right. Um, they probably have a pamphlet which like explains what's possible or available. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because it's a museum, it's probably exempt in certain ways from the ADA, right? That you know, requires a lot, you know, rooms and everything, and everything to be accessible. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it relates. I mean, we talked about accessibility and like what you, what you sacrifice when you sacrifice accessibility and what, you know, in service of what. So yeah. this is a really real, an interesting real world example of that. Yeah. I would, of course, me and Dylan didn't focus on that when we were there. Oh yeah. But I, I would be really interested to see, because I think you could have made a lot of this stuff oh, yeah? uh, more accessible if, or you could make something that's like it mm-hmm. that would have been accessible. Okay. Um, there are a lot of like passages you go through that obviously were made for the adults to get around so they could like catch their children at the other end or whatever. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you could just expand those out and it, like have weird stuff there too. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it could be done. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's a lot of volunteers too. Oh, and there was like this section. So like you'll have all these crazy like tunnels and stuff okay, and then yeah. you'll walk out and it will just be a, a display of random pieces of architecture from uh, buildings like there was a bunch of pieces from buildings that were torn down in Chicago that oh. were just on the wall with okay. little like descriptions. Oh, neat. That's neat. Yeah. And then there was like a bug collection, <laughs> which you could contribute to if you call this one do- dude and were like, "I have some bugs." <laughs> I thought you were going to end that with if you had some bugs in your pocket. <laughs> <Just> that <laughs> too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the knee pads that you didn't pay for. Oh yeah, they offered us knee pads at the beginning, and we were like, "What?" <laughs> No, we're not going to pay for knee pads that, and they're they all expensive or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, <laughs> we should have got the knee pads. Like Dylan has a huge bruise on his knee. And, <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Mm. Knee pads, man. If you're an adult, get the knee pads. <laughs> right. Good to know. That's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. That was our design, the design stuff for day two. Mm-hmm. And then day three was the actual League of Legends tournament. Yeah. It was so cool. You sent us a bunch of pictures and notes while you were there. It sounded like you were having a blast. It was so cool. So it was in the 10,000 person stadium. Mm-hmm. So you walk in and it's, they have this, uh, like all these screens, huge screens set up in the middle, like suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. Like a square. And on each side of the square was another screen facing another section of the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then underneath the screens was where all this, all the computers were for the players to actually play on. And what was so cool about the tournament was that everything seemed to be 
like designed and planned ahead of time. Like everything kind of seamlessly shifted from one thing to the other. And I was like, man, there is some stage managers managing this stuff. (laughs) They're very stressed out right now. (laughs) Um, Because like, it seems to me like video game events or big tournaments like this are like half doing the actual game and then like half just managing the audience and like keeping them entertained during like downtime or in between games or whatever. Yeah. And that like balance is like takes a lot of talent, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So like they had like cosplayers that would come out and like throw prizes at the, at the audience. Uh, And uh, they had like little mini interstitial things that like you don't see when you're watching it at home, like, because they just yeah. go to the commercial break or whatever. Yeah. But like, you can't just do that in the stadium because people are going to get antsy. Uh-huh. So they had like, they had people like things taped to the bottom of your, of certain people's chairs. Oh. And if you got one of them, like you got to go down and do something during these interstitial things. So wow. they had like a uh, tournament, like one-on-one battles between like a pro and then someone from the audience, which mm-hmm. is super cool. <laughs> um, and then they had a lot of like lighting design uh, so they had like lights shining down on the highlighting like the casters and highlighting the uh, trophy. And then in the audience, everybody had these wristbands that had lights on them and yeah. they could control from somewhere uh, what light, what color they went and who whose lights went on. So okay. during when something really exciting happened during the game they could just like make all these patterns happen across the whole audience, which is so cool. They had us do the wave. Like when every time, like, like we didn't actually stand up. The, the like, wristbands just went on. Right, it's like, a gaming all, event. They're not going to yeah. ask you to stand no, up. No, <laughs> no, no. They've no. had technology for this. Yes. Right? <laughs> so like the, the lights went around in a wave. Okay. Uh, and like when dragons got taken in the game, the, uh, color of the dragon would light up all oh, across the stadium and cool. like it was so cool that's awesome. <laughs> i mean that's really good too because like if you're not paying enough attention and you or maybe you don't know what the dragons are like you can see what color they got and that's neat yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like they had like just screens placed all around the audience yeah. that would then light also like say what type of dragon it was during champ select it would show like all the the champions that were getting selected and not stats and stuff about yeah. them and so what it did is it brought the game out of the screen and like into the whole audience too. Like the UI was also mm-hmm. in the audience, which yeah. was super cool. It felt like, like it, that kind of brought us into the game too, mm-hmm. kept us all engaged. Hmm. Um, that sounds very similar to a basketball game. Like almost exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's not as much UI and stuff specifically for basketball, but like, yeah, all of that stuff, like, uh, random people getting picked to go on stage when there's like a break and and yeah, know, yeah. halftime shows and whatever else, like, all of that stuff is just like in basketball, just because it keeps people engaged and it makes them feel more like they're part of the, an actual event, uh, which I imagine you felt when you were there. Yes, the, yeah. <laughs> in the case of baseball, it's to get you from going home early. <laughs> Whoa, <enough. laughs> shots fired. Um, there was also like a lot of camera work happening, and it was so okay. cool being able to see the other side of it. Like you, like see all the camera angles that they get online Mm -hmm. but like they're doing so much work to get that one shot Mm -hmm. right like they have people with these huge like uh like backpack sort of things that keep the camera steady as they walk around oh um and so they had and you could tell when the game was getting 
close to the end, those people would all go up on stage and start like positioning themselves in front of all the players right, to like, right. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of times they went up a little bit too early. And so we're just like standing there like really awkwardly, like, uh, <laughs> they look like a squad of colonial Marines. Like. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, and they also had these big cameras on cranes that would like sweep across the audience or sweep, like they could move them anywhere they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so we were sitting there and the big crane camera was kind of right in front of us. Oh. And um, not so that it blocked us, but it was right there. And it was sweeping over the audience and we're like, that's real close to us. That's like, like we could maybe reach up and touch that. Uh And then like, that doesn't seem right. And then it came down farther and like whacked the woman right next to us in the face. (laughs) Oh, dang. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone like, freaked out and like the game was still going and everything yeah. but like you could see the swarm of like uh of like you know camera people and like facilities people yeah. like come out and be like oh my god and the camera it broke the camera oh dang. so you could see like <laughs> like immediately cut the feed from that camera yeah. and like uh s- like static was on that little like preview screen and they were like what what's going on i don't know <laughs> and everyone in our row was pointing like it was her you hit her <laughs> Wow. So they came up and found her and like took her and her, all her friends away. And then they came back with like armfuls of merch. Like, please don't sue us. <laughs> Here's a bunch of free stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I guess in one way it's lucky, but I mean, also you got injured by a camera. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dolan's like, why didn't the camera hit me? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, things can go wrong in live events mm-hmm. also. Oh Yeah. It's interesting you're talking about the um, like the the selection process, all that stuff, sort of being out into the room as well. I remember reading, um, I'll have to dig this up, but like an uh, article about an Overwatch League event where the, the APIs in the game didn't signal those events uh, uh, so that no so external systems couldn't use them because I believe that's how it works, where like all those things get plugged into the game itself, right? But I think that when they were starting Overwatch, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, they didn't have that ready to go, so they had people manually triggering a lot of that stuff and it was utter oh, chaos and they had oh, a really yeah. complicated system incredibly managed right it's all better now apparently but i, sh- I should dig that up because it's really yeah fascinating i would love to read that to find out how that works and if you're a developer who is making a game for an event like this how do you interface with those systems yeah uh, and you know uh and how do you how do you think to do it and now that there's enough esports out there that do this sort of thing there must be like popular middlewares and there, and you know, and uh, and uh, staging equipment that are designed specifically for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh man, that's so cool. So it's like you have to be both of game designer, but also think about the things that a physical game thing would yeah. have to do, like all the experimental games we see at GDC and that. stuff. Yeah. yeah. But then, how much is that handled by Riot Games versus the event organizers? Like stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Do the, does the game just send out those signals, and then the event organizers then decide what to do with it, or does it actually? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it reminds right. me a little bit of. Um, uh, I used to do um, programming for Rock Band Network, where you you would, you could um, take uh, your own music or somebody else's music and then put it into the game, mm-hmm. and you programmed everything. So you you put in all the the gems that scroll down, but also the camera cuts, the uh, behaviors by the the actors on the thing, oh. and the lighting. You did all of that using oh, MIDI that's files, so cool. <laughs> and it reminds me a little bit of that. On a, that's a much smaller scale, of course. Yeah. But I'd be so fascinated to know like those, how those systems are yeah. put together. I imagine with League of Legends specifically, a lot of that stuff is all in Riot games because they just have so much stuff. They're so big now. Yeah. Um, so they, did, did they put on these events, Riot themselves? I think yeah. so. As far as okay. I understand, they do. So it's very likely like 
specifically for League of Legends, they will be doing all this kind of oh, stuff. Okay, okay. But like with fighting games, uh, like especially like Smash, because Nintendo doesn't really support Smash tournaments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they do their own thing, so they have to figure that kind of stuff out. From what I can tell from watching that kind of stuff, I think they just like do that stuff outside of the. They do it separately, I guess. There's yeah, not yeah. anything specific to the game that will allow you to do it. You just have to know it and then type it in or whatever. Right. right so right, someone right. will have to be on the board, and like when the the final hit comes in, they can be like, right, like at a like at a normal concert or something. Yeah. A lighting manager, or yep. something like that. Lightboard up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, but I guess the bigger the game, like the more like more efficient systems like that become to put into the software. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I bet they have. They might not put that code out to the regular games too because each tournament i think has their own server so they're, they're oh, not oh that makes sense they're yeah. not pinging the regular one because if you got leg at a tournament <laughs> that'd be bad yeah, yeah right yeah <laughs> I, I bet that's it oh man fascinating. yeah but i yeah no idea but that would be my guess right right well you have experience in theater tech right so you were like looking for all the yeah i was like <laughs> where's the those uh like the all the you know little techies running around <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, and I was trying to find the booth. I was like, where's the booth? Where are, where is the like lighting people? Yeah. <laughs> probably six booths. Yeah, probably. Cool. Uh, it was so cool. Um, one thing though mm-hmm. that Riot Games has not really thought about is what the, all the sound effects in the game will sound like when it's in blasted out into <laughs> a 10,000 person stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wish I had earplugs. I had my ha- like hands in my ears anytime the actual game was going because and maybe it was a sound mixing thing because mm-hmm. the high sounds just like like when people did lasers or like Lux was picked one time oh, and it was just like, nah. <laughs> 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 um, like, oh man, some of this. And when the team fights happened, like all those sounds were happening at once yeah. at high volume. And they yeah. even had to turn the casters up to go over that. Oh, because uh, that's the right move. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why don't you? I was like, I want to go up there and be like, hey, turn this down. Turn this, them, like, turn yeah. everything down. Like, you don't need it. It's going to carry in the, you can see it happen. You don't need to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. You don't oh. need to hurt our ears. Like, and it wasn't just me, because my brother was there also, and him, all his friends went to try to find, like, okay, we'll go buy earplugs in for, like, $15 or however much they're going right. to charge sure. uh, at the stadium or whatever. Nothing. Wow. No. Really? I was like, that's weird. You'd think they would have that if they were planning for it to be this loud, but yeah. I don't know. They might have. Huh. I think they maybe have them in the front, but I mean, I don't know. I guess they look, so I don't know where it is. That's weird. Yeah, earplugs are probably a good idea to get at like very large scale tournaments like these because uh, it can get loud. Uh, yeah, and I, I remember just when playing League of Legends, whenever a team fight would happen, there'd just be a bunch of noises. And I'd be like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> How do they? Uh, I know that like you know, when I watch um, any competitive speed run or something, and they like to choose whose audio to select. Ah. but like each player's audio mix is going to be different, right? Um, it's not one audio stream to everybody. I don't yeah. think that they have the audio for the players. Do they? No. Okay. They. I mean, they record that and then during like mm-hmm. commercial well, breaks I mean, or whatever. Like what they what would, is being piped into this into the room? Ah. Uh, game audio, and I think it's like global game audio or wherever the camera is audio yes it's wherever the camera is oh there's there's a spectator camera yes okay yep. right, right. and because they can the players will only see there's like fog of war it's uh commonly called where yeah. like part of the map is blocked out unless the you have some you're a teammate there or you have a ward there that makes it so you can see mm-hmm. um but the spectator camera can turn that on and off for each like team they can see like 
oh, this team can see this and this team can see that. And oh, look, this person's <laughs> hiding in their blind spot. Ooh, which actually that can mess the whole game up because that happened once in this tournament where someone was hiding and the camera highlighted that they were hiding and the audience went, ooh, and then the person who was walking towards it suddenly walked away. Oh. And it was like, oh man, they try like really hard to have them not be able to hear the audience, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. 10,000 people is going to get through even the most like good sound canceling right. headphones. Yeah. Well, you described the jumbotron arrangement as being sort of a cube that wraps around the stage. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I imagine. So you can't just look up. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and see like, Oh, <laughs> screen spot your neighbor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but we could screen spot. We were close enough that we could screen spot all the players, which oh, was yeah? really fun. Like seeing what they saw. That's cool. Um, and how they like so much of the time they're like really quickly cutting to menus, like yeah, which was really interesting to see like their perspective because they never show like an individual person's camera. It's always the spectator camera. So sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh man, that just seems like such a lot of work. And they managed to pull it off well because you had a good time, right? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I had a good time. There was confetti and everything, right? There was, oh man, and when, yeah, the, when the team won, they just like confetti went everywhere. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Awesome. I had a good time. I, I highly recommend if you get a chance to go to a big tournament like that, uh, definitely take it because it's, it's an, it's an experience. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and during the tournament, there were lots and lots of colors all over <laughs> the the uh, stadium, including uh-huh. all the confetti, including all the confetti. Yeah. And I bet someone had to design which colors were displayed. Yes, and <laughs> lit up on LED bracelets and stuff. I think your enthusiasm for this transition really sells it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep going unless you interrupt me now. So, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know because not like so my topic this week <laughs> <laughs> uh is color theory um this is something that steven you suggested i did because i was very curious about it yeah um uh somebody on our uh, msp game dev slack um had posted about a game uh that they were working on uh and it had it, it, i can't even remember exactly what they brought up but it was like three tones or something and i was like i don't even know what a tone is <laughs> Um, what is that? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> um, when two colors of paint really uh, love each other, <laughs> you have a lot to learn, Stephen. Apparently, um, well, so I come my background color genetics. <laughs> yeah, my background is in graphic design. That's what I did for a long, long time, and so a lot of this is just drilled into me. It's I've been doing it for years, and so it, but it's not obvious um how to manage uh you know color choices and color relationships uh in your work or assessing them in others so the game you're talking about has it's this pixel art style and it has this really really reduced palette yeah um but it the palette it's it changes so it's not the same three colors um and so it's designed in a way so that you can have uh, apply different palettes to it and so people who are into retro games know that like luigi is a palette swap of mario yeah and so that that kind of technology is still used in games but now generally for more artistic purposes to to you know create different uh, uh skins and different uh um, filters and stuff like that yeah um and so we can get into some of those specific examples but i want to just start back at the basics just sure. how does color work right cool, yeah um so um there's sort of the elements of color so like when you are if you're working in photoshop or anything like that you know there's different ways to combine 
different values to make the color you want. There's RGB, how much red, green, and blue you add to yes. a thing. But generally, uh, you generally speak of the three sort of elements of color as uh, hue, saturation, and lightness. Okay. And hue is just one dimensional. Uh, it's a wheel that goes from you know red all the way through to purple and then back to red again. Okay. Right. And now this is a sort of a misnomer in terms of this is color theory in terms of con- concept. Right. Yeah. Scientifically. Red and purple are the different uh, wavelengths that make up light. That's it, it's a it's a linear line, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. When you, you go infrared and ultraviolet uh, outside our visual spectrum, but um, you can also, it, in terms of how we see things, put them on a wheel. And uh, it, that's not how it works in science. Yeah. But it's how it, how it works in concept. Yeah. Ironically, I understand it in science way better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, um, but a lot of those, uh, how it works in science and the wavelengths of color do matter sometimes okay. when you put two colors next to each other. Oh, um, sure. Because of the different, um, the wavelengths of them and the intensity you have, you can actually have colors bleed in your, in your vision together and they can be uh, not super good for certain reasons okay. or particularly good for other reasons. So um, oh. that sort of DOS green, that like that sort of old school computer green color yeah. uh, that everyone knows I'm talking about or or just a solid red. Those are two colors that, uh, at least in those specific uh, hues, they really pop, they bleed off the screen. Mm-hmm. Your eyes really notice them in that sense. And so they serve as excellent contrast to almost anything, even when from doing the math, the contrast isn't as great as you'd expect because of the way we perceive them. So sure. in terms of just like raw readability, a lot of times red is used for warnings and for things that blink. Oh, okay. Partly partly because of that, because yeah. it's easy to notice. Sure, yeah, right? okay. That so s- stuff like that, lots of little tips and tricks. You can find, if you just through the internet for like, you know, uh, color tips or things I didn't know, whatever, you'll find tons of these little examples mm-hmm. of how things work specifically. Um, I do want to talk a little more generally though. So, so you can have these, these relationships between colors. Uh-huh. And so a lot of people are pretty familiar with this idea of complementary colors, yeah. which are two colors that are on the opposite ends of the color wheel. And this okay. is where the concept takes over from the science because it doesn't really make any sense on that linear path. Yeah. Um, but this is, for example, why Hulk's pants are purple. Oh. Because Hulk is green. Oh, and they're they're, they're complementary yeah. colors, oh. and the, and it's a little it's a little silly because like yeah. why purple pants? It's like well because because purple pants are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to believe that, <laughs> <laughs> but it works really good against green. Okay, and it with a, a limited color palette of comics printing, um, when you had a couple of choices and you wanted to yeah. make it stand out, yeah, that's a good choice, yeah. right? And that's why they pop against each other really well um, because of how they're perceived. Um, we talked about this when we were talking about audio weeks and weeks ago about like how loudness is different from volume. Yeah. Color works exactly the same way. Where like oh, cool. if you if, <laughs> if it, your perception is different from the actual you know uh, properties of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's really fascinating. Um, as a graphic designer myself, like getting into the weeds on these things, um, especially when you come to like uh, like truisms about like this works with that or whatever. I generally think it's better to learn this stuff and then forget it. Um, okay. because, and just let your own sense of aesthetics guide it. Um, because there's no substitute for you looking at it and saying that looks good. Yeah. Um, uh, truly sure. like that's it's just like with audio, if it sounds good, it is good. Right. Yeah. And that's the same with, so I think people who have like, oh, I don't really know a lot about art or about, you know, design or whatever. It's like, well, you have your own judgment and you know, you, you might want to, uh, you know, uh, brush up on concepts so you can better explain how you're, uh, how you're processing your interpretations. Mm-hmm. But generally, your aesthetic sense is as good as anyone else's. Yeah. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of the tips and sort of concepts that I'll lay out, they're all rules meant to be broken and they're all meant to be interpreted through, you know, your own a- a- aesthetic sense. Um, you know, like the green and purple, for example, are great complementary colors. They look kind of gross to me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So 
you know, I'm not yeah. going to make that <laughs> the main color theme of a game of mine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can, if you like it. Yeah. Uh, and you can use that backing as a way to, 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 to help you inform how you have other colors relate to it. Yeah. Too, so. I'm glad, I'm glad you're saying that. Cause like, I don't really, I don't have an art background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I have like particular tastes and whatever else. Uh, and you can tell by my fashion sense, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, uh, I don't normally know how to like, you know, explain myself. So like when I'm working with an artist, uh, and treasure stack, or I'm working with my brother and Finjins or, mm-hmm. Um, or on which it's actually with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I'll be like, oh, this looks. I don't like the way that this looks, and then, and you'll be like, why? And I'll be like, uh, <laughs> it looks. Well, bad. there's a really good example of this. Yeah. When I was designing the uh, character art for Pinion, yes, our player two, uh-huh. I had a couple of different, uh, very they were very slight variations, and I asked for opinions, and you had a very strong opinion about it, right? Yeah, and you couldn't really explain it, but like. I, but I took that as like, a, well, as Stephen thinks, there's there's a reason, and so that and that's that guided the final look of the thing. Yeah, um, ah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was yeah, I was like, I I couldn't tell what I, what I didn't like about it, but it was something. Yeah, yeah. When you are making something, you can be way too close to it, and mm-hmm. so sometimes it's very certainly very useful to get someone's opinion on how does this go together. Yeah, because a lot of times your your mind can be influenced by all the um, the steps along the way to make it or all the other pieces of art it's going to go against. Right, yeah. And so it is useful to get, a f- this is just like playtesting, right? Mm-hmm. It's useful to get like a first blush impression from somebody else. Color is not something that is at the tip of everybody's tongue in terms of how to talk about it, but everybody, everybody's a pretty good judge of color yeah. because we're all humans. Yes. So <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, okay, so that's, you know, we're sort of going left and right here, but um, so saturation and lightness are the two properties. So okay. once you've got your hue picked out on the wheel, um, saturation is basically just how much of that color there is. Okay. And so 0% saturation, um, if it's in the middle of the lightness value, is gray, right? Oh, is okay. n- no uh, color at all. Mm-hmm. 100% saturation is fully the color, yeah, right? Okay. Um, and that's that's how you look at that dimension. Um, this is really interesting, Stephen, another, this is another fun Stephen story. Um, <laughs> There's a ton of those. <laughs> so here at Glitch HQ, we're always like, when we're doing a play test or events or something, we're always handing out, we're passing each other USB sticks to put on different machines and stuff. Ah, yeah. And um, I, I said, Stephen, can you grab the blue stick on my desk uh-huh. and you're like looking for five minutes and you're like what are you talking about I'm like the blue one there's the no bl- blue stick the blue one. you're like i see a black one but i don't see a blue one and i'm like it's the blue one and it's because like i'm so in tuned to this color nonsense that mm-hmm. i look at this thing it has like five percent saturation <laughs> blue and to me that's blue yeah it's like when my mom was like we're gonna paint this room purple and i yeah. was like gray with tiny little bit of purple in it yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like no it's purple yeah. this is the fun yeah. it's the funny thing about gray is that if you uh, perfectly like uh zero saturation gray mm-hmm. is kind of depressing to look at and so very frequently when you see artists use what they call gray it actually is a little purple oh because there's just a little hint of color to actually feel like it's coming out of the it's not like just living in the background of a thing oh right? that's why like because like when you go to buy markers or something at mm-hmm. art an art store they'll have like light or like bright grays and like darker grays mm-hmm. there's like two sections of gray yeah, yeah is yeah, that yeah. why because it's got different like tiny bits of, of well the saturation doesn't affect the lightness all, always right and then right but like oh it was cool cool and and warm oh, grays yes. that's yeah, what it was that would be the case yeah so cooler colors are the blues and purples and a little bit green maybe and then warmer colors are the reds yellows uh, or red, orange, and yellows, mm-hmm. and um, and so that is that is um, uh, uh, like color temperature is another way to define that. And so okay. photographers and filmmakers will know that, like the color temperature of a light. 
So if you go home and you look at like the light in your kitchen, maybe it's a fluorescent light, it probably looks very bluish, very cool to you. But then you look at your reading light you have by your bed, it's probably very warm. Yeah. And these are these are physical properties of the objects that are giving you light. Um, but sometimes they're, you know, the people who make light bulbs can just def- define these things. Mm-hmm. But generally, no light is perfectly white. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's not, uh, you know, um, it's not zero percent saturation. It's 100 yeah. percent. This again, these don't apply necessarily to light science. Sure. <laughs> right. Exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, when you uh, notice that, that you go into a different room and it has a different temperature, that that light then casts. A sort of a filter on everything in the room. Oh, and um, and so, but your eyes just adjust to it, right? right? Yeah. So it balances it out. But um, you'll see this a lot of times, and this, I mean, people play with photo filters, and so people are just generally familiar with this concept, mm-hmm. even though they don't know really where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of thing of like you know the tint going from one to another or the color temperature, um, that's something that you can play with a lot in your design. So this is something I love to do: is you you get a, a color palette you put together, three colors really like they work together. My sure. character is going to be, or maybe the logo is is I'm going to use these or something for some design I'm making. Okay, great. Now I have the color palette. Now I'm going to apply a filter to all three colors. I'm going to make I'm going to make them all a little warmer, all a little cooler. Oh. And I I uh, analyze that for um, does it you know to give a, a sort of a sense of tone to the whole piece. And then I'm left with three different colors that are all moved in uh, simultaneously in one direction or the other. All, this is also very good as you as you rotate or as you move the the, the warmness or coolness of those colors. Okay. Um, you change the hue or you change the tint. Um, if they start to look wrong at a certain point, you've probably gone too far in your adjustment. But if they start looking wrong right away, then maybe they're not the right, three right colors to go together for you. Uh-huh. Mm. Sort of thing like that. You can sort of analyze them in different contexts. This is also practical in the sense of like what people's monitors have different color temperatures. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Nothing is going to look exactly the same as you want it. Like your little, your little six digit hex code for your color is not going to be respected everywhere. You know? It's going <laughs> to be close. You don't have to worry too much about that. But, um, you, you know, you do want to think sometimes about how these things work together and then use your own little tests to sort of, um, to evaluate your own perception and what you're looking at, because it's going to also be affected by the room you're actually in right now. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Dang, this is complicated. I love it. <laughs> What's nice, I, what I like about it, it's incredibly complicated, mm-hmm. but ultimately these are all just background pieces of information. Yeah. Right. It's good to know, but there's some very simple ideas. And again, it all really comes down to, do you think it looks nice? Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people use tools. Uh, there's a really great one that Adobe makes called Adobe color. I think it's a web tool. I don't think you have to pay for it. It's just okay. the utility that you can like, Define three points on a on a color wheel on there, and then you can rotate them all together, and you can visualize a palette of three or five or, or however many colors. Okay, and you can sort of define your palettes like that and save them out, and you know, kind of get a, a good catalog of that. I tend to not bother with that stuff. I tend to do the classic, like pick a color on the you know in the the color picker, pick another color in the color picker, adjust <laughs> them. You know, like that's yeah. not you know that's the thing about this kind of stuff is that a lot of the tools you can use can help you in specific workflows. Um, but again, it really just comes down to you think it looks nice, right? And the more you know about this stuff, the faster you can be to pick a color you want. So yeah. um, a lot of times I'll pick something that has a, a, a high saturation and match it with something with low saturation. And that works really nice for something that I want, like text on a background. Like a, like a, a vib- vibrant yellow mm-hmm. is a bad background, but it can work if you have a really low saturation uh, text on, on top of it. So if you have a, a bright yellow and then a really bright blue as the text on top. Like those feel like complementary colors, yeah. but if they're both high saturation and very, both very light, they're not, they're going to sizzle against each other. Sure. Um, but if the blue is darker and, ha- and is much closer to gray than pure blue, it, they're going to 
they're going to have this sort of, uh, they're going to feel complementary in the, on those other dimensions. Okay. Um, and so you can, if you know those sort of basic ideas, then you can quickly, when you choose a color and you want to choose an accent color, you kind of know where to start. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess that's kind of how I approach a little bit, how I approach like character creation mm-hmm. in, in video games is like, I'll pick a primary color and then I'll go, I'll just like pick random colors and go, Oh, this looks nice with this color. Yeah. And it just works. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and certainly the more you do it, the more instinct you have for yeah. where, where to start your guessing. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just absolutely true. Right. And so, um, a really fun example of this is in widget satchel. Uh-huh. We did it during the game jam. We started and all, a lot of the color choices I made were from, were, were from that one weekend. Yeah. And the, 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 all, they all flowed from there. And the main thing was there's this, there's this green we have. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, um, it's a little, it's a little yellow green. And a lot of the choices that we, that I made were derived from that single color choice ah. and what would look good in that whole universe of colors. Oh. And so a lot of that becomes, well, that color in particular led me to a choice of, oh, I don't want any text that's black or white. Mm-hmm. All the text is going to be somewhere in the middle of, of saturation or of the middle of lightness, rather. Yeah. Okay. Um, with a low saturation. But um, so because a white on that green doesn't look right and black doesn't look right either. Sure. So it's a sort of a, a sort of a muted gray, a muted purpley gray huh. looks really good against it. Yeah. Right. And so uh, uh, then that becomes a theme for the whole game. So in other areas where we have um, this element in the game where you um, uh, you find these terminals and it loads up a, a, a different menu that has this red. Yeah. This sort of um, it's, it's just slightly orange. Um, all the colors I like are just slightly something. Um, <laughs> and so, um, that feels pretty much you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that, and how I pick colors that match that is very much that red is, the, is it has the same properties as the green, mm-hmm. just with the hue rotated. Oh, right? okay. And so all the uh, complementary choices. So Widget Satchel is a game with lots of color. Yeah. It has tons of colors. It's probably yeah. the most complicated color palette I've ever made for anything. Oh, wow. Um, but it all, I'd like to say, it all hangs together. I think so, too. Um, because there, it has a couple of first principles, right? Yeah. And so that's something that you want to think about for your own works is, like, do you want something that is... Um, uh, you know, has a, has a lot of color or has a very limited color. And like, that feels like a great, oh, that's my choice. But that's only the start of what you're talking about. Yeah. But particularly as you work on a project and you don't know where it's going to go, right? You don't know, you don't do all the art first. You know, you kind of, you know, especially for indie projects, everything kind of happens at once. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you can have these choices made and just like game design, where you choose things and then those choices, the next choices are flow from the previous choices. Yeah. Um, and that's how you, that's how you maintain um, a sort of cohesiveness, even as it changes and evolves and color works the same way. Okay. Um, so th- that's, that's how Widget Satchel put together uh, Metro Nexus. The other game I've got in, in the hopper right now that has a totally different concept where it's UI is all black and white, mm-hmm. very, very high, high contrast, um, he- a heavy use of black. Um, the white is a little off color uh, to sort of signify a sort of a weathered look, but it but to the eye it appears white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the colors I choose are are the player colors, and they're very very bold, very high saturation. Um, but the menus and UI stuff is all uh, low amounts of color, um, very little variations in, in those colors. Okay, and then it's separated from the game view. Whereas in Widget Satchel, the um, the color system that the UI uses is, is for narrative reasons. A similar UX to the in-world computer systems and stuff, right? The the props that the 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 fictional universe characters use uses the same palette and design as the UI, and this is really common for video games, right? You want a sort of your your HUD to feel in the world, even if it isn't 
even isn't realistically like there'd be no, nowhere in this world would I see an indicator for hit points, right? Right. <laughs> but but you still want it to feel a part of this that space. So yeah. Witch's Satchel is very much like that. Okay. Metronexus is totally not like that. Yeah. It is very specifically not like that. Yeah. So these all, you know, this is UX and UI design that, as well. That makes sense for the narrative of the game too, because like uh, in Metronexus, yeah. because like the game takes place in a bunch of these different locations and they have their own aesthetic, like their own style, yeah, visual style. But like, uh, you play as an employee for this one company, and mm-hmm. so it makes sense for the UI to be the style of that one company. Right. right. And, yeah. and, and then, and you never see it anywhere else because yeah. that's the, the idea of the player character, at least in the single player mode, mm-hmm. feeling like a stranger everywhere. Ah. And that's, that's, that's important to the concept of the game. Yeah. So that's done through the design is uh, of course, but it also means that the individual design of each of the levels needs to have a complicated color palette of its own, but because it uses different player, uh, the, the multiplayer player colors, sure, yeah. it needs to integrate them in a way that feels more, like as um, indicative of this is player one rather than this is definitely the blue player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it gets complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's really cool. I like that. And I like how like you tied uh, all your color theory and stuff into the designs of the game. Yeah, it's very, I mean, I have a very holistic approach to all of these nonsense topics, but like um, <laughs> this one in particular, like can really be, um, uh, it can really drive a lot of the other decisions you make. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it can be feel weird for someone who is just a designer, like a game designer to feel like, why would it matter? Like what my color palette has to say about like, you know, what, uh, how fast my character runs. It's like, it could, yeah, you know, um, things can really impact each other and it, it, you don't necessarily know until you get into it. So the more you sort of look in and the more you, it's not even the more, you know, it's really the more you think about it. Sure. Because like I said, it's not, it's not altogether that complicated to in, into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, does have lots of details. Cool. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to bring up uh, really quick um, yeah. the well with, with respect to like colorblindness. Yes, um, we had brought this up in in uh, plenty of previous episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. But like the, our best episode that talks about like specifically colorblindness and how to um, make that make your game accessible and your colors accessible for people um, with colorblindness. Um, you can check out the past episode. I definitely thought of this ahead of time. Um, episode one twenty one. We uh, released that on March twentieth. Yeah, that's a relatively recent episode, and we really get into it on that. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, we can go on again and again because it's a big topic and it's important. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think we cover it pretty well there. Yeah. Um, I had some specific questions I wanted to ask about color theory. Well, <laughs> um, so I know that like the different different colors um, can affect like a player's mood in a game. Yeah, and I've 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 read uh, a few times that like. Sometimes like uh like a, a the red team or the blue team, the red team will win more often because they're like more aggressive or something. Uh-huh. Um like how how can how does that work if as best as you know? Um and like how can we use that? So there's a lot of studies you see, Martha, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen these too. Yeah. Um would that say like, oh, that yellow is a calming color or mm-hmm. yellow is this color that makes you afraid or nervous. Like yeah. I don't know. Okay. Orange <laughs> makes you want to eat stuff. Blue is why Facebook's uh, so successful. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't have a lot of background in this kind of psychological uh, stuff. But okay. I kind of don't take any of that seriously. Okay. Uh, because it could be true. Yeah. But it's not going it, to, it can't really influence my choices. Sure. I think, um, I think more likely uh, or more practically for a game designer, and this is true for other types of designs as well, is uh, work colors sit in our cultural life okay yeah. uh what red and green mean to us and what they mean in relation to each other yeah um and uh actually martha you had a really great example of this exact thing right yeah so i think i've talked about it before but in flint hook um they like culturally red to us me in the u.s means stop 
and green means go mm-hmm. or red means like bad green means good you can mm-hmm. do this thing yeah in the ui for that game red means you can buy the thing and green means no you don't have enough money <laughs> <laughs> which is very confusing yeah anything that's bad is marked green and anything that is like yes good is marked red which yeah. is very like it takes cognitive me- like energy mm. to sort through what's happening yes yeah, and you ha- you really want to be able to you don't want to confuse players with that kind of stuff generally, mm-hmm. um, but also you can use that to your advantage in some places. So you know if you have a hallway in your in your sort of like um, uh, uh, atmospheric first person adventure game, yeah, um, that's lit lit with like red blinking lights, mm-hmm. you know you can invoke a feeling in a player it, uh, as opposed to if they were like orange which is pretty close right yeah oh yeah um, okay but at the same time you can use that uh not only to leverage the exist the pre-existing knowledge that people have of what colors mean to them uh, culturally mm-hmm. you can also use it to confound expectations you can have a, a blinking red hallway be where a prize resides mm-hmm. and you can know a player won't go there because it's scary <laughs> right and that's a, it's a way to hide things from people yeah. right and yeah. so you can use color in the same way you use um architecture or sound or anything else okay. to guide a player in how you, you know, give first impressions and that sort of thing. Okay, way. cool. That, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to, I mean, that you don't have to, because there's, I guess there's not a lot of information, concrete information on how this specifically affects a player's mood. But yeah. guiding a player and stuff can, and using like the cultural background of a color can like be very helpful for mm-hmm. you when you're designing a color. That's great. Yeah. Uh, a, really, a good example of something like this is Infengeance. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I'm not sure how consistently you guys apply this, but I know that like enemy bullets are usually red. Yes. Right? But sometimes boss enemies or special enemies have like flashing uh, um, uh, bullets or different colored bullets. Mm-hmm. And I know to treat those special. Yeah. Even if mechanically they're not different. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we, we try to... Um, most of the time, yeah, most of the attacks are red. Uh, but... Uh, I think that like we do change the colors based off of like the color palette of the background that that boss or enemy is in, mm-hmm. um, and we also change them based on like the properties of that bullet because some bullets can like freeze you or they'll deal damage over yeah, time, or something yeah. like that. So yeah, that's that's good that like it's telling you to treat this bullet special. Mm-hmm. Sweet, yeah, yeah, you're doing <laughs> we're doing it right, <laughs> right? Color color is UX, yeah, right, and that's a big part of it. Cool. Um, I wanted to know, um, I think you brought this up already, um, but I wanted to know like good ways to emphasize an object using color. Yeah. So like highlights and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's a lot of it's about uh, the so contrast as people understand it is between light and dark. Right. Yeah. But that but generally conceptually, I mean, contrast by being different from the thing around it. Yeah. Right. So uh, super hot is a great example of this where it's super hot. <laughs> super hot. <laughs> The whole world is white. It's really, really bright. It yeah. doesn't actually doesn't feel like the lights are on, right? It just feels white. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel lit, which is a really interesting, uh, uh, um, um, like a successful way they've portrayed the world. Mm-hmm. All the enemies are like crystalline red. And so that that's, you know, so they stand out really well. Yeah. But importantly, all the items you can interact with are black and not oh. just black. They're like black hole black. Oh. They're incredibly, they have very little shading. And they feel almost flat. Yeah. They, they do have dimension. They do have shading, you know, in them. But like, yeah. it's very little. Yeah. And that's a he- heavy contrast um, from the the rest of the world. And so you see props in like a kitchen scene, or you know, or, or whatever mm-hmm. that that are that are bright white. You know, that's just part of the world. Yeah. But if you see a knife on the counter that's black, you just know you can grab it. Ah. And so that's a way you can do it. And that is a very simple way of yeah. of defining a world in a really simple terms. 
But a lot of times uh, you'll see very frequently in like MMOs and and, and MOBAs and, and games that have tons of they're just barfy color, like just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of criticism for those kinds of things, but that's sort of my general feeling about games that have too many mechanics. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that sometimes that comes with ultimately just tons of color yeah. that are just all not really servicing anything. They just color, color, color. Yeah. And the way you have to contrast then is you have these big, bright, glowy effects that are like the, that red or green that we talked about earlier, or sometimes mm. a blue, a very light color blue yeah. that also just pops against anything. And that is that is purely functional, mm-hmm. and it and I feel like I'm I really wish that people made paid more attention to the balance between uh, uh, um, function and aesthetics, yeah, because that does really give a lot. But ultimately, a lot of those things are ugly because they kind of have to be. Sure, <laughs> in, yeah. order, in order to stand out against all of that color in in every situation, you need to have. Uh, you need to really go for broke. In yeah, terms of like how bold that red is going to be. Yeah, that know? that reminds me of like um in in Cuphead. The, I think the like the way you knew that like things were going to be moving is very similar to how like old cartoons used to do. Because like I, I I felt like I guess I, I I'm not I'm not exactly sure because I don't know all the terms and stuff on mm-hmm. how it worked. But I always knew when like a thing an object was going to be moving because like it had a different color look. Yeah, a uh, visual look to everything else in the background. Oh yeah, yeah. Like um, it looked interactable, or like yeah. it was, like it was not drawn into the background. It yeah. al- it almost looked like it lifted off the page. Yeah, right. And that's a very subtle, like drop shadowing kind of, mm-hmm. but in a way that doesn't look like a drop shadow. Yeah. Um. So um, I, I'm not sure this is exactly it, but like um, we do this in Widget Satchel as well. Mm-hmm. You, I think like a color wash, where oh. you you put a layer a, a layer across the entire screen mm-hmm. that takes everything behind it and darkens it or just adds a tint. And then the thing you want to highlight is in front of that color wash. And that becomes a way to have something stand out. Ah. Um, so you'll see that a lot in, uh, in action games where, especially for modals, where the game will pause. And then it looks like it's highlighting something, but it's really doing is just dimming everything else. Ah, okay. Right? That's how you can get around some ad blockers because they, you can just go into the, or, or like those pop-up ads or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's what they do on the web too, is you can just put a thing that darkens the rest of the screen. So you go into web, tools yep. or whatever and just delete that and delete that div. yep yep <laughs> delete that background shadow yep yep um but you can so you could that, that relationship can work in a lot of ways you can you can um add a uh, filters of a little bit extra saturation mm-hmm. to the object you want to highlight and then all the co- all the colors pop a little bit more than the background okay you can do the opposite where you can make the background and do, you know yeah. um, or you can really just apply like a, a very fuzzy drop shadow to something or an actual drop shadow if you want to be basic yeah uh, <laughs> um that's but, an earth insult you're devastated <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah there's lots of different ways to do it and i think it really helps you as a designer to think of like, oh, I'm not because you can go on the asset store and find shaders that will highlight. It'll surround your ob- selected object in that bold red. Yeah. And you feel like, well, I did my job. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, you didn't. You, yeah. you have to think about how it works in the context of your game. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's exactly how you want to highlight a thing um, and really balancing utility and aesthetics. And then if, if you are going full utility, then other elements, you other efforts you make in aesthetics mm-hmm. will not be appreciated. Yeah. That's the key is if you're like, oh, you know, what? I don't like I'm not utility is more important to me. Well, that's fine. But then you should make sure it's more important to you everywhere yeah. because because you're wasting your effort otherwise uh, in other ways. I think I've seen a lot of games that have incredible character designs, really detailed, lovely images, characters. And then the UI is just terrible. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you put your resources where you put your resources. You can't really complain about that. Yeah. Um, as a player, you can't complain about that to a developer. Like yeah. they did their best, right? In, in all cases. But it is kind of a tragic because it distracts from the aesthetic efforts they put in when you, you know. So I think there's a, you want to make sure that a lot of those things go together. Sure. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for all of that uh, yeah. information. Oh, uh, because it's, yeah. Um, I'm really interested in this now. I'm going to have to look up some of these things. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I, I don't think I've given you a lot of actual knowledge. It's just more like an attitude. Yeah. And I think that's important with this kind of stuff. It's just to, like take it seriously, look into it. And as I said, up top, like trust your own instincts. I mean, it's, it's your project. Don't don't make it this color because you another game did it or because yeah. you think it should be that way. Because my own. game will only be successful if the things are blue. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Use your own feelings and your own thoughts. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you want to do something that's, that's non-standard, that's, that flips red and green, you know, you better uh, have a good reason for it. But, it, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but, but if, you ha- if you have a reason and you want to stick to it. <laughs> or if you do, you'll get mentioned on this podcast right, more often. Right. So. <laughs> well, you, you'll lose Martha, <laughs> but maybe that's worth it to you if you believe in that choice. Um, and that's just like in game in any game design element is if you if you so in order Dude, to believe, lose Martha or, or <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> um, but yeah you want to you want to uh, know uh, understand the choices you're making yeah that's the key and that's cool. just like all of this stuff yeah well that's great I, I want to understand the choices I'm making so I'm going to look into that more <laughs> <laughs> well that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts as well as get all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. 